Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you once again. Yes, Lord, it's your blood that cleanses us, washes us, speaks a word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel pleads for vengeance, for retribution. the blood of your son pleads for mercy. And therefore you have enjoined us, Lord, in your scriptures, when you said, come boldly and confidently to the throne room of grace by a new and a living way being consecrated and made for us by the body and the blood of your son so that we could obtain mercy and grace. That, would, that we could hear God speaking to us, even from the most holy place. The God who's seated between the cherubims. The God who speaks to us, instructs us, even in our spirit man, not just in our soul. And therefore this morning I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us and minister to us. Speak to us, O Lord. We want to have the attitude of Samuel. We want to sit at your feet and we want to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant. For your servants are hearing. And therefore, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, continue to minister through us, to us, to all of us here in different, different places. Let your spirit, Lord, anoint us to speak and to hear and grant us the power to obey. To that end, I pray that you would bless the speaking and the hearing of this word. For in Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, uh, we've been looking at the life of the patriarchs. Last night, uh, we studied about Joseph and what it is to be a disciple. Jesus calls calls us to himself. We've been studying the life of Joseph in the nights, and we've been also looking at uh, Isaac in... uh, Last morning we looked at Genesis chapter 26. But even as we study and meditate on the scriptures, before I go into the meat of today's word, and I mean, I will be uh, uh, looking at different aspects, but I want us to look at first Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 8 to 10. Let's read. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Abraham was called and Abraham obeyed. That's what uh, we're all called for, the obedience that comes from faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign land, 
He was a sojourner. He was a pilgrim in a foreign land. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Hmm. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations. Whose builder and maker is God. So, reading a particular commentary by a man of God, and my <laughs> several things he was saying, and my I just fell on one particular sentence. There are three kinds of people. He is talking about uh, Abraham uh, living as a sojourner, as a pilgrim in the land of promise. He went out not knowing where he was going, but and he was. Even in the land of promise, he was living as a pilgrim, as a sojourner. And he waited for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So he's, he's looking, talking about the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, of course. That's what I believe he's being alluded to here. There are three kinds of people in the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people who were once part. There are three kinds of people. There are fugitives. There are vagabonds or wanderers. And then there are strangers and pilgrims. The fugitives are those people who are running away from home. There are vagabonds or wanderers who don't have a home. And there are pilgrims and strangers who are going to their home. The world is full of fugitives and vagabonds and wanderers. The fugitives like the prodigal son who have rebelled against their father because they did not like the rules and the regulations and the restrictions and the discipline of their father. And therefore he runs away from his home. Or like Jacob, hmm, who's running away from the promised land. One man of God made a very interesting statement. He said, all the ten sons of Jacob, Jacob were dwelling in the land of promise. And he made a very, very interesting observation. He said, how is it possible that in the land of promise, there is famine? Whereas in Egypt, There is plenty. And he makes a statement, he says, simply because you've sold your Jacob, your Joseph, who could bring you sustenance into Egypt. And there are are people like that, fugitives, running away, like Jacob also, running away, deceiving his brother, trying to um, get his birthright through deception. And therefore running away from the land of promise. Like a fugitive. So many fugitives in the in the kingdom of God. You may be a fugitive today. Running away. Maybe because of guilt. Because of shame. And then you are afraid to come back. Just like the prodigal son. Even just like Jacob. Because he didn't want to come back. Because he knew that if he has to come back. Then he has to deal with certain things in his life. Therefore, even though the Lord asks him to leave and go back to the promised land, 
He's still scared because there is untelt sin in his heart. He knows that he dealt with deception with his brother and his, and with his father. And there is fear. Tremendous fear, crippled by fear. Until God deals with him at Peniel. And then he runs. He goes back. Or like the prodigal son who's running away from God. And then God has to send a famine into his life. And then he comes to the end of himself. And he comes to his senses and he says, The servants in my father's home are better than me. They have food plenty to eat. Let me go back and tell my father, Father, I'm no no longer worthy to be called your son. You may be a fugitive this morning, running away from the presence of God. Because you sought your own will, because you didn't like the rules and regulations and the and the and the discipline and the love, you mistook the love of God that God was showing you in the house of God for restriction. God restrained your freedoms. And therefore you have run away. Or you thought that you sinned so badly that you can't come back. What With what face can I come back to the house? I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 55. Let's read that from verse 6, on, six onwards. Seek the Lord. While he may be found. Verse 6. Call upon him while he is near. And I believe that pastor was telling yesterday, this is, these are the best of times and the worst of times. God has given us these days as an opportunity so that we could come back to him. He's hedged us from all directions. And he says, stop running now. Quit running. Don't become a fugitive. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. Running away. From the purposes of God. Depressed completely. But thank God for the way he deals with his fugitives in his kingdom. Who have been running away from him. He comes and says. He doesn't argue. He says. Elijah says. Lord take my life. I'm not worthy. I'm not better than my forefathers. He takes. Asks God to take his life. And the angel of the Lord comes and gives him food. Boy. What kind of food that might have been. Food. Sleep. Food sleep and 40 days he walks and he goes to Horeb. You know what the word Horeb means? Very interesting. Cleft. Split. Cleft of the rock. That is exactly where Moses meets God when God puts him in the cleft of the rock and he makes his presence pass by him and God does not show him his face, he shows him his back and he declares his name and that is exactly where Elijah is brought back. And then he listens to the still small voice of Elijah, of God saying, what are you doing here Elijah? A fugitive. So many fugitives in the kingdom of God, running away from the presence of God, running away because, running away because of guilt and shame. And it says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, it says, you don't have to turn there, it says, the wicked flee. They are fugitives when no one is pursuing. You know why? Because their guilt is pursuing. There is undealt sin in your life. You haven't confessed it. And you know it. Deep down inside of your heart, you're doing a lot of religious activity, but you're fleeing from the presence of God. You are a fugitive. 
How many fugitives in the house of God? Look, 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 look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 6 onwards. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Stop running away from him. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn back to me. You know what he says? He will have what? Mercy on him and our God for he will what? Abundantly pardon. Not just pardon just like that. He will pour out his pardon on you. God who sees your heart when you're coming back. This guy is rehearsing his his lines. His confession lines. No, And his father sees him from the far, from afar and he runs towards him. Jacob's brother saw him from afar and put him in the pit. (laughs) But the father runs towards the son and he clothes him with his righteousness. Jacob's son, Jacob's, uh, uh, Joseph's brothers look look at him and they strip him of his clothes. But this father is different, right? He runs towards the son who's coming back. And he looks at him. He doesn't even... He has no second thoughts. He listens to his confession and he says, bring in the robe. Bring in the ring. Bring in the saddles, sandals. And he says, let us slay the fatted calf. I like that. Somebody has to die in order to give you pardon. And the fatted calf was there, which had to die to give you pardon. It's all there. It's all there. The story of redemption is there everywhere. Somebody had to die. He says, Lord, I'm, I, I, I was dead. But you know what? The father says, a calf is going to die in your place. And that's exactly what we looked at yesterday. A calf, a, a lamb without blemish, a male lamb, one year old, died in our place so that we could receive the pardon, so that the angel of death could pass over us. You could be a <sighs> fugitive running away from the presence of God. Are you sick and tired of your misery? I can tell you from the authority of God's word and from my own personal testimony. (laughs) Come back. Quit running. Come home today. Don't run away from the presence of God. Don't say I have gone too far. Nobody has gone too far. Don't say my wound is incurable. There is a God who was wounded for your transgressions. There is a God who was smitten and was broken so that he could heal you. And by his stripes you will be healed. Don't say I have hurt the Lord too much. Come back. I like that hymn. Softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. Patiently Jesus is waiting and watching. Waiting, watching for you. And for me. Why should you tarry when Jesus is pleading? Pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Time now is fleeting. The moments are passing. Passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering. Death beds are coming. Coming for you and for me. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised. Promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon. Pardon for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Come home. 
come home. My dear brothers and sisters, whoever is hearing in the within the sound of my voice, if you are a fugitive and running away from the presence of God, and you have been laden with guilt and with shame, and we are saying and confessing and saying, Lord, my wound is incurable. There is a God who is waiting for you. Time is fleeting. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming. They are coming for you. And for me. And for you. And for me. You know what it says? While we were yet sinners. While we were ungodly. When we were without strength. When we were God's enemies. He died for us. He's abundantly, he's going to abundantly, he is willing to pardon us abundantly. And he doesn't need your sacrifices. Psalm 51 verse 16 and 17. Look at what it says. Psalm 16 verses, Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would have given it to you. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, these God you will not despise. And that is the reason why God does not look at the outward. He looks at your heart. And he's looking at your heart this morning. Many of you. Even my own heart. Maybe I'm running away. Not dealing with certain things in my life. Confronted, my dear brothers and sisters. Let God confront you. There was Don't wrestle with God like at Peniel. You know, God had to confront him. Don't be a fugitive. Isaiah chapter 1. Look at verse 18 to 20. It says, Come now. Beautiful, no? Come now. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And then, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land or the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. So, don't be a, don't be a fugitive. Second, <laughs> second kind of people in the church, they are vagabonds and wanderers. Like a king. Look at what it says, says in <laughs> Genesis chapter 4. It's beautiful. Uh, how, how, how God wants him. This is after I, can we go read from verse 8 onwards? Genesis chapter 4 verse 8 onwards. Now Cain talked with his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed. From the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And look at what it says. When you till the ground, it shall no longer eat its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond or a wanderer you shall be on all the earth. And you know what Cain says? Oh, my punishment is too much for me to bear. It's greater than I can bear. Verse, verse 14. Surely you have driven me out of this day from the face of the earth. I shall be hidden from your face and I shall be a fugitive and I shall be a vagabond. Look at this man. He does not want to humble himself and he says, Lord, don't drive me from your presence, Lord. I do not want to be a fugitive. I know if I continue on my path of being a fugitive, I'll become a wanderer. I will have no home. Fugitives are running away from their home and vagabonds have no home, my dear brothers. They're running away from the presence of the Lord. 
And so many people, even in the body of Christ, have no home. There is no place like home. Isn't it interesting that when we leave home, then we really truly know the value of home? Especially if you've been born and brought up in a beautiful, godly environment where you've been fair and you love your parents, your parents love you and you have to go somewhere to a foreign country to study or to go to a different place to uh, to work. All you're thinking of is what? Home. Home. No, I, I remember so many brothers when they go abroad from our church, no? They say, Pastor, when I it's like, my mind is always back home. My family, church family. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. I like the dialogue in Munich. If you've seen that movie, Steven Spielberg, no? The Palestinian and the Jew are arguing with each other. Why are you so crazy about that place, he says. And you know what that guy answers? He says, there's no place like home. That is our home. That's our home. It might look small. It might look absolutely congested. It might look so dirty. It might look, I mean, it may may not have so many facilities. Not many blessings, but it is what? Home. (laughs) It's home. There's no place like home, my dear brothers. There's no place like being under a father and a mother. There's no place like being, what? Under the love and the admonition of the Lord. There is an, there is love at home and there is discipline at home. And when you leave that environment, you will miss it. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter wherever you're gone. And I believe and I'm pleading and I'm asking all those wanderers and vagabonds, come back. Don't say my punishment is too far, too, too much for me to bear because you cannot be a vagabond. You cannot run away from the presence of God like that. Look at what he says. Surely you have driven me out of, out from the, uh, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. Isn't it interesting? It says, you know what? I, what does it mean to be living in the presence of God? You know what it means? To live under his presence means to see his face continually. To see his face continually. See, there is, there's a goodness side of God and the fierceness side of God. Okay. His face has both sides. There's a severity of God and the goodness of God. You know which which part of his face he has shown us? His goodness. And which part of face he has shown Jesus? His severity. His severity fell upon Jesus so that we could experience his goodness. Uh, On Jesus so that we could experience his goodness. He showed his severity, his face to Jesus. And then he showed us his kindness. And this guy, you are driving me away, he says, from the presence of the Lord. But he will never confront his sin. He will never acknowledge that he has murdered his brother. Look at it. God knows it. But he says, my punishment is too much for me to bear. But look at what it says in the next verse, verse 15. Uh, previous verse, let's finish it. Verse, verse 14 first. And then he says, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. He knows that his protection is gone. I'll tell you something. If you are a vagabond and a wanderer, you are a prime target from the enemy. Your protection is gone. Your protection is gone. There's nobody to cover you. Your covering is gone. 
Home is a place where you're covered, you're protected, you're, 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 you, 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 you really, really have a sense of security. Isn't it? It doesn't, see, we, you, you live in a simple home, okay? Don't have anything in your home, but when you have peace, when husband and wife are in absolute peace, you know what happens? The children, they are happy. Have you seen that? I, I can tell you from my own personal experience. When my wife and I are at peace with each other, we don't need much stuff at home. We, we, ha- we can have very little resources, but you know what? My children, they have an environment where they feel secure and they, where, they feel, uh, where, where they feel comfortable and they know that they are protected but because that is home. It's not the house that you live in. A lot of people have houses, but they don't have homes. A lot of people have houses. You know, whenever Justin and I have an argument or we have a, some kind of a, uh, some kind of a tiff with each other, suddenly my children say, why are you not uh, uh, talking to dad? Why are you not talking to mom? What is going on? Suddenly there's a sense of insecurity that comes, comes, comes into their hearts. I've seen that. And so many places, the husband and wife, they, they do not love each other. And the, and the children, they are absolutely open target to the enemy because the protection is gone. It's not the house that you live in. It's the home that you have built. That is the reason why we say, we read in Psalm 127, it says, except the Lord builds the home or house, we labor in vain who built it. Except the Lord guards the city, it's, we wage, watch but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late for he gives his righteous what? Or beloved rest. And he says, children are a heritage of the Lord. Isn't it interesting how he builds the whole argument when verses 1 and 2 and he says, children are a heritage of the Lord. You know why children are a heritage of the Lord? Because you have a home where you have built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And husband and wife have peace with God and have peace with one another. And there is a home where your children are protected. And I'm telling you, so many children are wanderers in their own houses because the protection has gone. Let me ask you this question, my dear brothers and sisters and husbands and wives who have, who have have small children especially. Do you have a home? (laughs) We have that placard in our homes, right? A family that prays together, stays together. Really, do you have a relationship with God? You know what? When your children see your relationship with God and that the peace that you have in your home, that you don't, you have, you may have arguments there, but there's absolute unity between the husband and wife. As far as God is concerned, you know what happens? Automatically the children are at peace and they will grow in the Lord. They will have a protected environment. They have a home. And the chances are, even if they go out like fugitives, they will come back to their homes. But the problem is, many places are not homes and the children are waiting for opportunities to run away from the presence of, from the presence, I mean, from, from their homes because they don't want that. You know what happens? They become vagabonds and wanderers and they become prime targets for the enemy. Let us build homes. So what happens to this guy? He says, you know what? Huh. I, and it happens to me that whoever, whoever finds me will kill me. And look at the, look at the kindness of God. He says, the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And I used to get upset with this. Lord, this guy, he killed his brother. 
you should avenge his death. But you know what? Sometime back, you know, the Lord told me, Abel is mine. He's already with me. And I'm still extending my hand towards my Cain. And you know what? God is extending his hand towards all the vagabonds and wanderers who have left home and pleading with them, come home. Come home. You don't have a home. You don't have a protection. Your protection has gone. If you don't have God, you don't have a home. You may have a house. You may have strong walls. You have a strong roof. But you don't have the protection of God. And everything will crumble one day. So you have vagabonds, your fugitives. Why did they become vagabonds? Simply because they are angry. They have been, they have been confronted with their sin and they got offended. The teaching becomes really hard and confrontative. It, in that it challenges the sin, the apathy, the lack of love in us for God and for our brother. And you know what happens? They draw back. Do we have a choice? John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 60 onwards. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said what? This is a hard saying. Who can understand this? You know, it says in Genesis chapter, you don't have to turn there, 4 verse 16, it says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in a place called Nod. Wow. You know what the word Nod means? Wanderings. And how can you settle down in wanderings? It's a false sense of security. You have gone away from the presence of the Lord and what the world gives you is a false sense of security. You know what has happened now? God in his mercy has taken us, taken away all that false sense of security. And he's saying, if you don't have me in your life, there is no cover for you, my dear brothers and sisters. There's no cover for you. There's no cover for you. You know, when, uh, when, um, uh, the, 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 the two spies who go to, uh, Rahab's home, I mean, Rahab's house, and they come back to J- Joseph, uh, sorry, Joshua, you know what they say? They say their defenses are gone. Their defenses have gone. I'm telling you honestly, there are so many homes where the defenses have gone. There's so many people whose defenses are gone. They are prime target. It's just a matter of time that it will crumble. Just because the sentence against sin has not taken place immediately, men's hearts have been set towards evil. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, if you're a vagabond, check your heart. If you're a wanderer, check your heart. Vagabond. You know what a vagabond means? Moving to and fro, up and down. Who is the first vagabond? Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Look at his, look at this guy. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where are, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro from the earth and walking back and forth on it. You know what? Satan is a vagabond because he left his first estate. And he's a vagabond and a wanderer. And he's looking for vagabonds and wanderers all around the place. And there is one guy who is absolutely covered under the presence of God. And you know what God says? Have you seen 
my servant Job. Oh, you hedged him. <laughs> oh, you hedged him. Oh, you gave him all these blessings. You don't allow anybody to touch him. Does he, does worship, does Job worship God for nothing, etc. We'll come to Job later on. But you see, there's a, you know, when you're a vagabond and a wanderer, you're just like the devil. Absolutely like the devil, because you don't have a covering. Covering of David, of, 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 uh, of, uh, of, of, of Satan is gone. He's gone. It's completely gone. It's been removed. So come back to John's Gospel chapter 6. What happens? Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, verse 60 onwards, when they heard this, this is a hard saying, who can understand it, they said. And next verse, verse 61 onwards. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he says, does this offend you? You see that? Does this, what? You see, the moment the teaching got a little confrontative, they got offended. Why did they get offended? I'll tell you, simply because they did not expect this Messiah to confront their sin. They expected this Messiah to give them, what, pleasures and comforts and all kinds of positions in this life. But Jesus would have none of that. And he says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was, for he was before? And then he says, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to, they are spirit and they are life. Where are, see, where, where is the other place? You leave the presence of warning, you'll go into the place of wandering. There are warnings. There are limits that God places around all of our lives. And you leave that, we wander. And there are so many wanderers in the kingdom of God. Question is, are you a wanderer? Are you settled in Nord? Or are you settled in God? If you are settled in God, the life might seem absolutely unsettling. Because he's constantly moving, 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 moving you from one place to the other. Because he's, you're constantly moving up with God, but you are absolutely still in your spirit. The pressure is outside, but there is stillness inside. But if you are gone away from God, there could be no pressure outside, but there is a storm inside. Because you know deep down inside of your heart, your defenses have left you. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they would who, do, who would not believe and who would betray him. So there are two kinds of people. There are be- people who do not believe and the people who betray. <laughs> That's an interesting. It's not people who believe and betray. It's people who do not believe and betray. That means there are three categories of people. The believers, the unbelievers and betrayers. B, B, B. B, U, B, B. Okay. Okay, then what's verse 63? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they're spirit and life. And in verse 64 he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. And then in verse 65 and 66. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one comes to me unless it has been granted to them by the Father. And from that time, many of his disciples drew back and walked with him no more. And he asked his disciples, would you also want to go away? You know what Peter said? Lord, 
you and you alone have the words of life. You know what that means? You know that you are at home when you are constantly receiving words of life. It says commandment is a lamp, law is light, reproofs of instruction are a way of life to keep you from the immoral woman. That's Proverbs chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. It says, commandment is light. Law uh, is life. Law is light. Reproofs of instruction are a way of life. And therefore it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 3 verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that a man of God is thoroughly equipped. You know what equipped means? That he is thoroughly clothed with all kinds of armory so that he can have a defense against the enemy. Otherwise, now think about it, no? Uh, have you seen, uh, if you see National Geographic, okay, sometimes um, the lion is hunting for uh, a particular animal. You know which animal it targets, the easiest target for the, for the, for the lion? There are a bunch of guys in the pack. And there will be one animal which slowly strays away from the pack. Okay. As long as it is within the pack, it's not easy for the, uh, for the lion to attack. But the moment this fellow has strayed away from the pack, you know what's going to happen? He attacks it and he kills it. Yeah. And another, another example I've seen, no? No, let's say a small calf strays away from the pack. Okay. You know what the lion does? It catches him. Okay. And after a while it starts playing with it. It doesn't kill. It starts playing with that defenseless creature. It's very it's not easy to digest that. Okay. It starts it, it does this and that fellow falls and then he gets up and he thinks that the lion is not doing going to do anything to it. And it jumps a little, plays a little, but the lion is going to eat it in a while. You know why? Because the defenses are gone. So many of you are like that. So many of people are like that in the church. They are like that calf, no? The lion has still hasn't eaten you. It's just playing with you. That is the reason why he says, be sober, be vigilant. All of you clothe yourself with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is looking like, a, I mean, searching for a, like a roaring lion, seeking for somebody to devour. So be very careful. Don't go away from the presence of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Look at what it says. 10, 10, 36. 36 and 37. For yet a little while, yeah, for yet a little while, and he who is coming, will come and will not tarry. Okay, and then, now if, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. That means you can just go away from the present. If you are a wanderer boss, you are gone. You are a vagabond and a wanderer, in the, you are gone. So be very careful. So the ultimate vagabond you know is a devil. Look at that. You see, there is another vagabond in the Bible. He had an unbelievable start. You will find his introduction 
in Proverbs chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. Hear my children the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Like the next verse also you can see. Okay, wait, hold on. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. You know what he says? He also taught me and said, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. That means he was a tender guy in the lap of his father. This is a Solomon. Okay, in the lap of his father, tender-hearted, his mother is there, Bathsheba is there, both of them giving them, giving instruction, and he had a fantastic start in his life. And I believe when he grew up, he also had a tremendous, a sensitive, tender heart. That is how he prays in Second Chronicles chapter seven. If my people are called by my name, etc., etc. That is when he had really tender heart. And after he finishes the prayer, what happens? The glory of the Lord comes and fills the temple. A tender heart. But after a while, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 onwards. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as a daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, from the nations from whom the Lord said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts after their God. Solomon Clung to these in love. Kya baat? <laughs> and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wife turned his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wife turned his heart after other gods. See how many times the turned his heart, turned his heart, turned his heart coming. It comes, and his heart was not loyal to his God, as was his heart of his father David. For Solomon's went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord his God. This is when the, he comes to the end of his life. He writes Proverbs at the beginning of his life. I mean, I'm talking about beginning, beginning of his career as a king. Because he says he's, he wrote 3,500 Proverbs of something. Several Psalms. And a part of it has been recorded in scripture. He wrote so many other things. Okay. Very interesting observation. At the end of his life, he wrote another book. What was that book? Ecclesiastes. No? Very interesting observation. The observation is this. If you read through the Proverbs, the word Yahweh or Lord, L-O-R-D, you know how many times it's mentioned? It's mentioned about 87 to 90 times. The word Yahweh or Lord is mentioned. God is mentioned eight times. How many times? Eight times in the book of Proverbs. G-O-D. God is mentioned eight times. Lord is mentioned 87 to 90 times. Depending upon the translation that you are listening, uh, that you are reading. Come to the book of Ecclesiastes. How many times Lord is mentioned? Zero. God is mentioned 39 times. That's a very interesting observation. You know what has happened? By the time he has come to Proverbs, he was writing Proverbs, Jesus, God was his Lord. By the time he wrote Ecclesiastes, Lordship is gone. He was not living under the S-O-N, son. He was living under the S-U-N, son. You read Ecclesiastes and now he does not mention Lord at all. 
what has he become a wanderer <laughs> you know what he says vanity vanity all is vanity finally fear god he doesn't say fear the lord he was a fun who said the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction the fear of the lord the fear of the lord fear of the lord 87 times he mentioned lord in proverbs and when he comes to ecclesiastes lordship is gone that means he has gone from the presence of the lord what it tells me is this my dear brothers and sisters if you have left the lordship of jesus christ in your life if the lordship of god has gone from your from your life you may have god but you don't have the lord you're a wanderer and a vagabond You're a wanderer and a vagabond and everything you touch will only bring emptiness and vanity in your life. It will not fulfill you. Not fulfill you. Ultimate wanderer. Can you imagine how he started and very ended? And it's very interesting how Jeremiah says, my people have run after vain things and have become Wanderers. You know why? Because they will never submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. Therefore, what is the solution to this problem, Baba? Dwell in His presence, not one day, not two days, continuously. Even if you have the temptation to run away, cling on. Psalm 139. Let's read from one verse 1 onwards. Look at what it says. <laughs> no wonder this man, this guy has to come to this kind of a confession. Look at this is David, of course. No, oh, how does he start? Oh Lord, kya baat? Oh Lord, he doesn't say Oh God, Oh Lord. Yeah. Lord, you are my God. He, there is nothing like God without being Lord. That is the reason why he says, of these people I say weeping because they are not enemies of Christ, because they are enemies of the cross. They do not want to have lordship. What is lordship? What is cross? Because your will and God's will will cross. They don't want that. They want only their will. They are bent upon their will. They don't want lordship at all in their lives. They don't want to be disciples. And therefore they become what? Vagabonds and wanderers. Psalm 139, look at what he says. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Is is it very interesting? Is it scary or is it very pleasant? Not scary. You know my sitting down and my rising up. In other words, you know why I sit down. You know why I stand up. Sometimes, for example, suddenly we stand up. Actually, something is happening which is causing us to stand up. It's not because out of reverence we stand. Something else is happening. So, whether we are standing up because of reverence or because we are standing up because of something else, you know, something, some people say, you know, Atvinayam Durtalakshanam. You know what it means? Some people, they act very, uh, very, very humble and very respectful, but deep down inside, their heart is Durtalakshanam means they have a a, a will which is demonic. But when they when they stand in front of you, they will sh- feign like Ziba. 
they will feign obedience but they are not humble at all <laughs> god knows why you stand up there for some people they might just sit down but god says you know what in his heart he is standing up he respects me so he says david says you know my sitting down you may you know my rising up you understand my thought afar of meaning afar of means it has not even been originated in my mind but you understand it even before it comes out and then he says you comprehend my path and even my lying down <laughs> you are acquainted with all my ways my dear you know what is happening if you are in the presence of god all this is happening he knows you are rising up he knows you knows you are sitting down he knows you are standing up he knows you are lying down he knows the kind of trajectories that you take ways means the way you do things and then he says there is not a word in my tongue but behold oh lord you know it all together the entire thing which is coming out of my mouth also you know and next verse 5 you have hedged me behind and before like you have like you know me like so well you laid your hand upon me behind before upon so the problem is uh, moses looked to the left and looked to the right and he didn't look up the lord is watching everything such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is high i cannot attain it so it is too wonderful for me what should i do the temptation is to what flee next verse where can i go from your presence from your spirit <laughs> you see boy says boy you you know me so well to sit in your place sit in the presence of this god it's not easy because he knows my sitting down he knows my rising up he knows my thoughts he knows my words he knows my actions the word is confrontative it's like i'm being hedged before i'm hedged being hedged before up above and i'm 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 being hedged from the top can we just can i just flee can you just give me a break lord can you just give me some time with myself and a lot of people say lord just kuncham just leave me for few seconds let me just live my life you know what he says where can i go from your spirit or where can i flee from your presence you know the word presence means from your face you know what actually in the hebrew face is panaim panaim means faces god has two faces the gentle face and the angry face the gentle face towards us and the angry face towards our sin the lord is angry with the wicked every day it's not with the wicked the lord is angry every day actually he expresses anger every day every day that face he has shown to jesus not to us thank god he asked moses moses said can i see your face no if you see my face gone that's exactly what i believe what ha- what what happened when uh, nadab and abihu they took strange incense and went into the presence of the lord god showed them his face and they couldn't handle it they just collapsed in the presence of the lord we can't see that face and live okay only dead people can see his face if you're dead to yourself you are alive in christ and only christ could see that face understand that understand that okay so he says where can i flee from your faces <laughs> your good side and the bad side if i ascend into heaven you are there if i make my bed in hell 
you are there. In other words, heaven means if I go to church, you are there. Okay. If I make my bed in hell, means uh, sitting before the television like this and and that is bedding, you're making your bed, no? Or before the internet nowadays, or casting your YouTube onto the big screen using Chromecast, he's there. Okay. All the technology, you can cast with Apple TV also, no? You're, you're casting, you're broadcasting in your own home, whatever already is being broadcasted into your home. Fantastic, you're all, we're all technology freaks. He's there! When we make our bed in hell. And he says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, please Lord, I want to take a vacation and go on a cruise ship. You are there. Even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. And you know what David says? <laughs> Next verse. I give up. <laughs> and he says, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me. You know, in other words, like, you know, uh, you know how cat drinks its milk when it's, uh, when it's stealing milk, it closes its eyes and drinks. Just because by closing eyes, it thinks that nobody's watching it. That's how it steals milk. Closes its eyes and drinks. So many people still like that. They close their eyes and say sin, thinking by closing your eyes, God is not watching. God is acquainted with everything, Baba. That is the reason why people want to flee the presence of God. That is the reason why it says in Isaiah chapter 33, who can dwell in the midst of everlasting burnings? Oh, when you dwell in the midst of everlasting burnings, I think it was Zach Bonin who said that whenever there is fire, the vipers rush out. That's exactly what happened to Saul. Oh, sorry, Paul. He put the fire. What happened? The viper, boom, came out. And whenever there's a fire of the word of God in the presence of the church, all the snakes come out. Snakes in your heart. And the snakes, which are snakes. The fire of the word of God confronts sin. And then you know what happens? Surely, he says, the, surely the darkness shall fall upon me. Even the night, he says, shall be light. Indeed, darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are just the same to you. The next verse. For you have formed me. You don't have to turn to the next verse. Verse 17. Verse 17. Okay. How precious, finally he says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. You know what he's saying? Lord, I know that you're watching me not to punish me. You're watching me because you love me. You're constantly keeping an eye on me. When we are, when we are, when we are children, our parents are constantly watching us. When Abigail and Emmanuel are there, when they're small, they're constantly watching, watching, watching. What are they playing with? Are they playing with scissors? Are they playing with nails? Are they playing with blades? Constantly watching. Now they'll grow up a little bit. We still have a watch, but from a distance. Okay. And after a while, they grow up and they go away to a different place. They still keep an eye on them, right? Or eyes, eyes, eyes on them. Somebody, some, somebody said this, no? Uh, I think it was Ramesh Richard who said this. He said, uh, "How many of you are grandparents over here?" He said. Yeah, some of the chip, some of the people in the in the congregation lifted up their hands. He said, "Yeah, it's great to be a grandparent." He said, and he said, "You know why? <laughs> because." 
both our grandparents and we uh, both our grandparents and we have a common enemy you didn't get the joke <laughs> you didn't get the joke grandparents and and the children have a common enemy ante evaru tel ardham kaladu meeku okay no problem don't worry those who got it got it okay <laughs> how precious are also your thoughts to me o god how great is the sum of them and then next verse if i should count them they would be more in number than the sand when i awake i am still with you therefore he says lord search me verse 23 search me oh god and know me know my heart try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life there will be a temptation to flee from the presence of god but don't run just because there's a deep search which is going on don't run away even you, you we could all be locked on but god is searching all of us and we could be running away by focusing our thoughts not on god but something else don't run away from his presence so they're fugitives they're wanderers and finally they're strangers and pilgrims that is what we are looking at today no we are looking at strangers and pilgrims and what do pilgrims dwell in tents <laughs> like that no you know what it says in first second peter chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 and 14 for this reason i will not be negligent to remind you always of these things though you know and are established in in um in the present truth yes i think it is right as long as i am in this tent to remind you up uh, to to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly i must put off my tent just as the lord showed me and when i'm removing my tent what am i going to receive a home not i just put away my put away my tent i receive a home from god a house from god so you can have a house here and you can be naked how do i know it second corinthians chapter 7 if i'm right yes or rather second corinthians just hold on please i didn't write that second corinthians chapter yeah 5 2 corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 onwards for we know that our earthly house what distant kya baat hai for we know that our earthly house distant is destroyed and we have a building from god you can you have two options either you can build a home and you can have a tent and let god build a home a house not made with hands eternal in heavens next verse for in this we groan honestly desiring to be clothed with our what habitation which is from home if indeed having been clothed we should not be found naked so you can have a house on earth like lot had and naked in heaven or you can have a tent on earth and be clothed with your habitation which you receive from heaven so if you want to get that what what happens next verse verse 4 for we are we who are 
In this tent, what do we do? We groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality should be swallowed up by life. That is what is Resurrection Sunday all about, right? Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as an earnest, as a guarantee, my dear brothers. And then verse verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Oh boy. So if you're walking by faith, you know what you're doing? You're living in tents. You're considering this body as a tent. How many of you, how many have you seen? Actually, how many of us have lived in tents? When I went to uh, NCC camp, I lived in one tent. Okay. Tent, you don't beautify it. Right? You don't beautify a tent. You don't buy expensive furniture. You don't take care of it as much. You just want it to be uh, good enough to withstand the elements. Am I right? Okay. And you can't be too comfortable also there. If you slightly, nicely, comfortably sleep in the tent, that uh, by by five o'clock in the morning, the sentry will come and with a stick and will he will uh, wake you up with a stick also. Hmm? So you cannot be comfortable. So tent. This body, we are not supposed to be comfortable in this body. And what has happened? There's so much of money which is being spent on this tent. And so little, what do you say, uh, attention given to the tent which is being built by God. He says, if be scared, you might end up what? (laughs) Naked there. Ashamed. Don't end up. Don't end up. So you have to have a what mentality? A pilgrim mentality. So what do pilgrims do? They progress. <laughs> Simple. That is the reason why we have John Bunyan's book called Pilgrim's Progress. So if you are a pilgrim, you progress. You press on. You know that this place is not your dwelling place. Hebrews chapter Sorry, First uh, Peter chapter two, verse nine onwards, nine to eleven. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Boy, there is a war for your soul to make you focus and gravitate into your flesh to your flesh. But God says, press on, move on, progress, put to death the deeds of the body. Those who who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its lusts. Put to death everything which is there in your body. And progress. Progress. Don't let the cares of this world, as we as we looked at yesterday, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things and the pleasures of this life, choke the word and you become unfruitful. Don't allow that to happen. Okay. And look at, look at another place. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18. Showing you so many verses so that for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. 
whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. You see that? For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we are eager, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the next verse. Who will also transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We cannot have this body. When we see him, we cannot have the same body and be able to handle that unapproachable light. This is going to give us a glorified body according to the working by which he is able to even uh, which is able even to subdue all things to himself. So we are wait, waiting for a body from above. We are good stewards of this body, but we don't spend on this body. By the pleasures of this world, the deceitfulness of the riches, cares of this world, the anxieties of this world. Oh boy, like like uh, Pastor was saying, no? many people are still planning out what are they going to do after this lockdown is over. What Can you imagine? And I believe, I believe this is going to happen. I mean, it's not going to end very easily and very soon. Till everyone comes to our knees and we cry out to God. Especially his church. So, what do pilgrims do? They progress. You know, the, uh, when you go to um, the army places, no, you'll see different, different slogans. Okay, and one slogan which I which I love a lot is bash on regardless. Have you seen that? Bash on regardless. Bash on meaning press on. Okay, regardless, bash on. <laughs> I like that attitude. No, bash on regardless. Philippians chapter 3. Look at what it says from verse 12 onwards. Look at what it says. I like that. Twice he mentions a particular phrase. Not that I've already attained or am I already perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. He helped, he, he wants to give me something, but I don't want to, he has already held me in his hand. I don't want to give up. Brother, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, the good and the bad, the failures and the successes, and the sins and the stupidity and the iniquities of the past, and also the the great exploits of the past and reaching forward to those things which are ahead and the next verse. Again, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So this is press on, bashing on regardless. So three attitudes what we looked at. First is what? Fugitives. If you are a fugitive, come home. Second, a wanderer and a vagabond. What do you do? Repent. Search for a home and come back home. You're already at home, but no, you don't have a home. You don't have a cover. Come back. Same for you also. Third, if you're a pilgrim, press on toward that home. Because this is not your permanent home. Even GTC is not your permanent home. Okay. We are waiting for something which is going to come up. So what do we do? Pilgrims progress. And you have all kinds of oppositions. So we were looking at one guy yesterday. What's his name? Isaac. So let us look again. Go back to Isaac chapter 26 of Genesis. Don't grow weary. We are looking at how we progress. So Isaac's life and Abraham's life are two different lives. You know, Abraham, whenever there was an issue in his life, he confronted it. Like for example, there was an issue with Lot. He confronted it. He said, okay, we are brothers. Let there be peace. You go. And there was an issue there. He fought. Okay. Isaac, on the other hand, was a man of peace. So sometimes you have to confront. Sometimes you have to let go. 
Okay, sometimes you have to have the Abrahamic attitude, sometimes you have the Isaac attitude. We are not just looking at the pattern of Isaac, we are looking at the life of Christ through Isaac. Okay, how we press on, how we press on, press on. We looked at yesterday the first 17 chapter verses, we don't want to go into the details of that. Let us, uh, let us uh, catch up from verse 12 of Genesis chapter 26 yesterday. Let's move on. Verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Okay? And so we looked at that, no? So as you sow, you will reap. If you sow scantily, you will reap scantily. If you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. And we looked at the example from Second Corinthians chapter 9 as to how God is able to uh, give us all grace, let all grace abound to you so that we will have a lack in nothing, that we will have a, a complete, a holistic growth as far as our spiritual life is concerned. Then the man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That is what we need to do. Just don't become satisfied with prosper. Look at the next pre- previous verse. I, I, I think this is what I believe is the, is the, uh, uh, yeah. And the man began to prosper. That is 30-fold. And continued prospering. That is 60-fold. Until he became very prosperous. That is 100-fold. Okay. We look a little success. Don't stop. Okay. Do well. You get what? 30 marks in your midterm, one midterm, one midterm two final semester, right? That's how it is basically in our university. I don't know how it is in your, in your, in your engineer, in your uh, MBBS. We have midterm one, midterm two, midterm three. Midterm one, thirty percent. Ah, midterm two, sixty percent. Final exam, hundred percent. You know that's exactly what I tell my students. Okay, you you messed up midterm one, midterm two. If you get hundred marks in your midterm exam, I will not even uh, smell your midterm one, midterm two. I'll give you A. Winner takes it all. Okay, you get 100 marks in your final exam, you get the A. Don't worry about how you messed up in your midsem 1 and midsem 2. Progress though, but I'm looking at your life, I'm looking at your, uh, but some professors don't even care, okay. Uh, if Even if you get 100 in your final exam, they will they will put weight on midsem 1, they will put weight on midsem 2, and they will give you a D if you get 100 in the final exam, okay. That, that's what I, happened to me. But that's okay. No problem. <laughs> because I, 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 I used to, I used to not take many classes because I used to go to some meetings in the, when I was in university, but I used to work hard on that particular course. But the classes were on a Saturday. And Saturday I had to go to fasting and prayer or something. Something was there in the church. So I would not end up in the class on Saturday morning. And in our, in our university, if you uh, miss two classes, then you have a grade which is gone. Okay, some once one slice of grade they will take away. I said, okay, fine. Let me see if I can really well do well in the final exam. I had good, really well in the final exam, but I still ended up with a D. That's okay. I had to do the course again. No problem. And I got an A. Okay, that's uh, that's the important thing. Okay, that's the most important thing. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became prosperous. This is the life of pressing on. You see, people in the world when they become prosperous, they never are satisfied, right? Oh, George for Amazon or Bill Gates. Ah, na jivitan kinte chalu ani puranle oru. But till the time he dies, he will say, "What are what are my stocks doing?" That's what he will do. That's the kind of attitude and the mindset they have. Okay, for an earthly crown, they do it. How much more for an eternal crown? So don't be satisfied just with the first prosper. Continue prospering until you become. Very prosperous, okay? That is 30, 60, 100. And what did, what does scripture say? Isaac sowed in the land and he 
reaped a hundredfold. That is what we are looking for. A hundredfold blessing, my dear brothers and sisters. You see, God, God is great, okay? This is what I, my, my, uh, my understanding is, okay? He's, he, he's a God who covers, right? It's not that we uh, are complete, we are saved because of our works. But Lord looks at our heart. Okay? Alright? It's like, you know, one professor, no? Some professors are very good. They look at your effort. Some silly mistakes here and there you make. They'll add it. And they'll say, okay, fine. A, A grade. Your borderline, let's say, B, B plus, and borderline to A, it's okay, fine. A, A, those go. And God is like that. Because they see the effort. He sees the heart. He sees the effort. He sees the interest of the student in this particular subject. And God is also like that. I mean, a professor who is like that, how much more God? And he wants all his students to get what? A, huh? He's a father, Baba. I want both Abigail and Emmanuel to do well. And I will concentrate more on the person who is not able to do well. Okay. So, understand the heart of God. So, the man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Then comes the first obstruction. So, the Philistines envied him. And then in the next verse, look at what it says. Of what, what, do, what, what, what do they do after they envied him? When the Philistines envied him, they looked at the source of his blessing. How this fellow in the land of famine he is able to get this kind of a, uh, a, a, a kind of an yield. There is no rain. Have we also sold but we have no yield. How come this fellow has got an yield? Are Look at that. There is a well. Oh ho ho. There is a good bore well. There is a good bore well. There is a good bore well. The source of this fellow's blessing is not the rain from above, but it is from a well from beneath. What do they do? Isn't it interesting? What do they do? They don't come and ask Isaac, Isaac, can you share some of your water? No, 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 no. Actually, you know what? This water cannot be shared. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. I think it's Proverbs chapter 5. I marked it. I forgot to put it. Are you there in Proverbs chapter 5? I'll tell you the verse. Mm, verse 15. And onwards, okay? Verse 15 to 17. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? No. Answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. Let them be your own and not for strangers with you. So, of course, this is talking about the marital relationship that you have. 
And our relationship with God is also like that. We have a marital relationship. We have a deep relationship with God. And he says, drink waters from your own well. And this water cannot be shared. My dear brothers and sisters, this water cannot be shared. You cannot share. You cannot ask. It's like anointing. Give us some of your anointing. No. You cannot, you cannot share this water. This is the life of Christ. You can only inspire people to dig their own wells. We cannot share from our well. Or, I mean, this is the life. Okay. So they come. And what do they do? The Philistines stopped up all the wells which the father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they filled them with earths. Isn't it interesting? What envy can do? Envy, what do you know what envy does? The envy from outside can stop, they will try to stop the source of water in your life. That source of, of the relationship that you had, from which life is flowing, they try to bring in earth. What is earth? The word dust, you know what? Comes from the Hebrew word earth. Try to bring it down to their level by sending earthly temptations into your life. One thing. Or create circumstances and situations in your life so that you will stop digging. It's very interesting that when Joseph was asked to go in search for his brothers, where did he go first? To Shechem. And then from there, you know what the word Dothan means? Two wells. That's the word. Interestingly, when his brothers, they find him in Dothan, they capture him and they put him in the pit in the well. Exactly. What are they trying to do now? This guy has a dream and they say, what will happen? We will see what will become of his dreams. Now turn to uh, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 10 and 11. Just let me have a water drink. Excuse me. So, he told his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him saying, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to you and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers, what did they do? Envied him and they want to do one thing. They want to thwart the plan of God in their, in his life and put him in there, into the pit. That's exactly what they do in Dothan. They put him in the well. And what is this guy doing in the well? Crying out, saying, brothers, please, 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 please. Bring me out, bring me out. And like pastor said, after a while, he stopped pleading to his brothers and he started pleading, God. Did God answer his prayer? Well, he did, he did answer, but not the way he expected it to be answered. It's very interesting that the word Dothan appears only in two places in the Bible. First in Genesis chapter 37. And can you guess the second time where it appears? Very unlikely that you have the guess. Second, second Kings chapter 8. <laughs> Let's see, read uh, six, Second Kings chapter 6, verses 11 onwards. 
Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me from which one of us is for the king of Israel? No, this is, this guy is planning all kinds of plots, okay? And he wants to defeat the king of Israel. Alright, but Elisha is seeing whatever he's dreaming and scheming in his bedroom, Elisha is getting the revelation. And he goes and wants his king, preempts the plan. And the king of Syria is frustrated and he says, who is the fellow who is a traitor in our midst? And the next verse we'll say. And one of his servants says, none my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. I like that. (laughs) You see, where can you run from his? presence. Okay. Verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told saying, surely he is in Dothan. You see, that's interesting. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city. Then what happens? And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city and the horses and chariots and the, and the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? There was a guy who was in Dothan and he was praying to God. Who was that guy? Joseph. He was praying to God and the Lord sent the Ishmaelites. But that he, he didn't think that that was his answer. Verse 16. So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us. Where? In Dothan are more than those who are with them. And the next verse. Then the Lord Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes that he may see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Then behold, the mountain was full of horses and the chariots of fire. Where? In Dothan. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? You know what? This guy is in the pit and he's saying, Lord, where are the chariots and where are the horses? Ishmaelites are coming. Okay, Midianites are coming. They are my horses and they are my chariots. I'm going to use them for a particular purpose in your life. Don't let the envy of the oppressor oppress you. Bash on, regardless. So what does he do? (laughs) What does Isaac do? He moves. He moves, he said, okay, fine. I'm not going to contend with you. I'm not going to contend with you. The point here is this. The the one thing they will try to do is to cut off our source of life and sustenance in God. But God is not limited. What they try to do? Kill all his dreams. But God sent us I think God allowed the Ishmaelites to come by, by that road. That was a timing, no? The timing of God is so perfect. He is planning and orchestrating every event in Joseph's life so that the Ishmaelites would come at the exact time. These fellows will sell him off and they go away. And the plans and the purposes of God will never be thwart. You see, it is not that People will envy us for sure. But let not you envy them. You need to understand this. One of the things that we have to fight in our heart is what? Envy and jealousy and say, Lord, let there be no envy. Because only small children will be envious. That's what it says in First Corinthians chapter 3. Your envy and jealousy. Why are you envying and, je- and being jealous of your brothers? This is a little children's thing. One of the things that I realized, no? most liberating truth in the Bible which will liberate you from a spirit of envy. You know what it is? 
it's found in genesis chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 you should be you should be known by you should be know, knowing by this so yeah exactly so the lord said to cain why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen if you do well will you not be accepted what a liberating truth so it's a rhetorical question if you do well will you not be accepted can we change change the rhetorical question into a sentence if i do well i will be accepted If I do well, I will be accepted. So, don't look at other people's success, gifts, and your lack of gifts and start envying. I wish. Maybe you will not be able to handle that. If even God gives you. You know, see, sometimes we envy people's success. Will you be able to handle success if God gives you? Is it a big thing for God to give you success? But will you be able to handle it? Do you have this courage and the strength of character and the conviction of character to handle success and money or whatever it is? God in his mercy protects us, Baba, by by withholding so many so-called blessings from our life. Because he knows that we are not ready to handle it. If you do well, you will be accepted. So let's go back. to So fight envy every day. Simple truth, no? Fight envy. So are you fighting envy is a question. Hmm? 26 now, verse 15. That's a first test. But the next test is more, more, more uh, intense. It goes on to become more and more intense. 26 verse 15. Now the Philistines have stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father and they filled them with earth and Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. And did he fight? No. That is the reason why it says as much as is possible in you live with peace, live at peace with all men. Pursue holiness with God and peace with all men. So what does Isaac do? He doesn't say, this is my water, this is my father's well. Nothing. You want to take it, take it. I am used to digging. Not digging up other people's dirt. My own dirt. <laughs> okay. Somebody said, no, if you dig up other people's dirt, you will be losing your ground. If you throw mud on others, you will lose the ground. You you will lose your ground. That is, I think, uh, Ravi Zacharias and some of his sermons he keeps mentioning that. Uh, Twenty six and verse seventeen. Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which he had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So look at this. Look at this, my dear brothers. There's famine in the land. Isaac is sowing. He is reaping. Why is he reaping? The source of water was not from the from the rain. The source of water was the wells that he dug. Right? The question is, why the Philistines can't do that? So this is basically, if you look at this, this is not just a physical problem. It's a spiritual thing. There's a spiritual lesson inside of this. It's a very, very important truth that we need to understand. 
people hate your relation. I mean, Satan, I mean, when I'm saying people over here, I'm talking about here in this case, the demonic forces, they hate your relationship with Christ. They hate that. And they'll do everything possible to dig up the wells of your fathers so that you will not be prosperous spiritually. Sorry, to, uh, to, to, to stop the wells of your fathers. And it is up to us to dig up those wells. You know what has happened? All the people in the, in the people who really, 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 you know, had revival in their lives, they dug up the well of the fathers. They, I'm not talking about digging up the wells of, uh, of our, of, of our previous generation, like John Wesley's generation or Martin Luther's generation. You know, Martin Luther's generation, they dug up the scriptures, not, did not dig up the wells of Augustine. They dug up the scriptures for themselves. What do we, we as generation will do? We don't dig up Wesley's. We get inspired from Wesley and we search the scriptures. Turn to Proverbs chapter 18 verse 4. Never stop digging. It says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. You see what is happening over here? You dig up the Bible. You know how the reformation started? There was one man who was reading Romans chapter 1, 2. He was reading Romans over and over and over and over and over and over. Digging and digging and digging and digging and digging. He says, how can, I, how can I get rid of the guilt of my life? So much of uh, condemnation and guilt. Uh, there is no peace in my heart. So many righteous things I am doing. I am still not able to get this right standing with God. I still feel that the wrath of God is upon my life. So he keeps on digging and digging and digging and digging and digging. And you know, one day he finds out, the just shall live. By faith. And you know what he plans? Suddenly the spirit of God hits him. And he, they, he, and you know what Martin Luther says? I felt as if I walked into heaven. I stepped into the portals of heaven. You know why? He started digging and digging the inspired scriptures. Not digging somebody else's life. You know how, how Augustine, how Augustine became a believer? You know, it was a very casual thing. He was walking. Given to all kinds of vain life, a debaucherous life he was living. And children were playing in the, in the, in, in their backyard and they were saying, Tolo lege, Tolo lege. What Tolo lege means? Pick up and read, pick up and read. And he says, what is this pick up and read? He just looks down and he sees a small paper and he picks up that paper and he, it's a verse from Romans chapter 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not give any provision to the flesh to fulfill his passions and lusts. Boom! The Spirit of the Lord hits him. And that is how Augustine becomes an Augustine. He was, by the way, uh, Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. He didn't become a father of the Reformation by digging up Augustine's books. He became the father of, of the Reformation because he dug the scriptures from himself for himself. And every generation has to go and dig up the wells because the Philistines have come and covered those wells. The wells of the word of God. By so many other things. By concentrating our minds on earthly stupid things. Covering it with what? Earth. Dig those wells, my dear brothers and sisters. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11. 
The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5. Look at what it says. The counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will dry it. Whose counsel is this? We are not talking about counsel of, the, of this world. We are talking about the counsel of God. It's like deep water. So dig up those wells. Don't let anybody stop you from digging those wells in your life. And what has happened first? The Philistines, they don't want you to dig up those wells. They have closed the wells there. So it's the next spell. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26. And verse 18 onwards. And Isaac dug again the wells of the waters which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them from uh, after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So the next well he digs is this. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, this water is ours. So he called the name of that well, Essek, because they had quarreled with them. The second problem you will have in your life, first is envy. Second is competition. Quarreling. This is ours. Competition. How to deal with competition? Should I show you a deliberating truth from the Bible? Which will liberate you? Do you want that? Okay, how many of you struggle with this spirit of competition? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Both hands I can lift up, no? Spirit of competition, that is the the power and the spirit of this age. Look at what the liberating truth for all of us, okay? John's Gospel chapter 3. Verse 22 onwards. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judah and there remained, and there he remained with them and baptized. And what happens? Now John also was baptizing anyone near Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. I like that, thrown into prison, okay. And there arose a dispute, huh? Between some of the John's disciples and the Jews about purification. Okay, fine. Whatever the dispute, you don't know. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you and beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. No, we have this competition. They are stealing my sheep. It's a problem even in... I don't want to mention no Christian organizations you will face. They're stealing my sheep. They're all sheep stealers. They're stealing my sheep. They're stealing my sheep. And look at what happened in the next verse. John answered, bah, liberating truth. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So let me, I, I you know how I rephrase it to myself. I should receive nothing unless it has been given to me from heaven. Finished. Competition gone. Now you can, you can do, you can apply this truth to every area of, of your life. I should not have a house unless God gives me, <laughs> gives it to me, my own house, okay? Unless God decides to give me your own house from heaven. If I have a house, then it will become a snare. 
I should not have a ministry unless God gives me to me from heaven. I should have only a particular kind of ministry that I have for myself. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Look at what it says. Uh, if you have the NIV, please. NIV or the ESV. NIV and the ESV is fine. See, uh, ESV is fantastic. ESV? NIV is not there? Uh, I just show NIV. Yeah, that's fantastic. NIV is fantastic. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such greater cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. You know what? There is a particular race with my name. Dane dane pe likha hua hai khane wale ka naam. Track track pe likha hua hai running wale ka naam. There is a race which you have to run with your name on it. Don't try to run somebody else's race, you'll be disqualified. You know that, no? The Asian gold medal, that lady Ashwini Purnappa, Ashwini, Ashwini something something, you know? Ashwini Chinappa, not Purnappa, sorry. Ashwini Chinappa, you know what happened to her? One centimeter she went in, she got the gold medal in Asian Games, one centimeter she went into the other person's track and she was disqualified. And it could not be seen with the naked eye. They had to do, the camera what was, uh, was uh, which was capturing that entire event, frame by frame they captured and for a minute second she went into the other person's track and she got disqualified. There is a race which is marked for each one of us and what is happening, instead of running our race, we are in competition with somebody else's race and God is saying, Baba, please, there is one race which is marked for you. That is enough for your, for your life. The spirit of competition. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 onwards. 1 to 4 first. Look at the competition in the church. There's, there's a competitive spirit. Oh my goodness, how it is. So prevalent in the church. Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as what? Worldly. Mere infants in Christ. This is NKJV. NIV, that's what I thought. Yeah, no problem. Okay, because NIV is really solid, okay. And brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. But as Carnal. You see how the difference, how the weight is so different here. As to babies in Christ, I fed you with milk, but not with solid food. I cannot feed solid food to you. Why? Because you are not able to reach, uh, receive it and you will still not be able to. Why? Simple. Next verse. You are carnal because there is envy, there is strife, there is divisions. Are you not carnal and behaving like what? We are not mere men, brothers. We are supernatural men. You know why? Because we serve a supernatural God. We are not mere men. Why? For one says, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? You know the spirit of division in the church? They try to divide. Thank God it doesn't happen in our church. And if anything, something like, 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 like that happens, we are so fast to thwart it and nip it in the bud. We will not allow it. Spirit of competition. And next verse, look at what he says. Verse 5 to, five to actually you can read the whole chapter. Who then is Paul? 
Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you have believed as the Lord, Lord gave to each one I planted, Apollos watered, who gave the increase? God gave the increase and therefore neither he who plants is anything, he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase is everything. So that's what Pastor was saying. Don't idolize anybody. We are just mere men and if anybody like Paul or even Barnabas, if somebody tries to put them on the pedestal, they tear their garments. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and look at that. He who plants, he who waters we are one. We are not two different people. We are the same. Each one will receive his own reward. You see that? According to his... Oh boy. How much he's trying to thwart the, get, get this into people's heads. Own reward, own labor, own race, not somebody else's race. There is one ministry that God has entrusted into your hands. Don't desire for something else. That's what I said. Don't jostle for positions. Jostle... Ask God for authority, not position. You need authority. And you do your work faithfully, whatever you're doing. You could be a person who is just cleaning the toilets in the church. You could be a person who's saying, Lord, I'm doing this most menial job. And God says, my dear son, my dear daughter, do it faithfully. And you will see the anointing of God over your life. And you will see that the authority of God flowing through your life. And people will see the work that you're doing and they will get convicted. But are you willing to do that? People want somebody else's position, somebody else's anointing, somebody else's gift of prayer, somebody else's gift of preaching, somebody else's gift of evangelism, somebody else's gift of apostolism. Oh, come on. There's one race for you. Essek. Then, verse 9. Verse 9, let's read it. Verse 9. 3, three 9, yeah. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Okay, and then look at what he says. According to the grace of God which is given me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed as to how he builds. In other words, don't be looking at other people's work. You take care as to how you are doing your work. Don't be looking... Like, for example, if God has given me uh, the gift of preaching, what I should do, I should be fasting and praying and be a diligent student of God, of, of, the, of the scriptures, and saying, Lord, grant me the grace so that I will understand your word, I will understand the principles in the word of God, and I will be able to give your people the truth, rightly dividing it, not confusing them. And instead of I look at somebody else's ministry or somebody else's gift and get a, get jealous and by this competition which is going on, you know what is going to happen? God is you see, what? You're getting distracted. Getting distracted. And next verse, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, huh? Oh, it's okay. I understand. Precious stones, wood, hay and straw. Each one's work will become clear. Ah, that is important. For that day will reveal it. Important, my dear brothers and sisters. So if you are doing something simple, boy, that is a race which is sent, set for you. Be happy. Okay? If you have less talents, blessed you are. You know why? Because God is going to ask you account for that one thing only. But ultimately, you should have the commendation from God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all we need. That's all we need. 
So there's competition which is going on. So how do you deal with competition? I should not receive anything other than what God has given me. Other than what is ordained for me in heaven. And you know what? I should decrease and he should increase. You know what that actually means? Yes, in, he was a man in the old covenant. But it also means I'm happy that God is using him. <laughs> you know why? In all things, who should get the glory? God should get the glory. If the glory of God is being is, is being achieved, doesn't matter who's doing it. If your face is turning away from the glory of God and there's some personal glory in you, that is the reason why you're jealous. Saul has killed his thousands. David has lent ten thousands. Finished. Over. After that, he looked at what? David with suspicion. With a suspicious look. You know why he's not able to love him anymore? On the other hand, that guy is forever trying to get the approval of his father. Of his spiritual father here in this case, Saul. Poor fellow. How we kill and destroy the next generation because of jealousy and envy. Oh, Jesus, God, save our hearts and guard our hearts from Essek. From Essek. <sighs> Let's go back. So what does he do? <laughs> he says, okay, fine. Does he contend? What does Isaac, Isaac do? Baba, is your will? Take it. Take it and go. I will go to another place. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 26. What is the next place he tries to build? Verse 21. And they dug another well. One thing Isaac does is he never stops digging. Kya baat hai. A lot of people by this time they'll give up. Oh Lord, go to another place. Start digging. Start digging. Ultimately it is not your glory. No. What is digging? Go to the scriptures. Start studying the word of God. Enjoy the word. Enjoy the word. God will give you a ministry. What did I say? Ah, God will give you a ministry. Enjoy the word. Don't say, don't enjoy the ministry. The, a lot of people will look at the success in their ministry and say, oh, so many people are coming into the ministry. Then me, therefore, I am successful. No, like pastor said, right? Just because you have few people in your congregation, you think that is success? Who told you? Who told you? Success is how much you know of God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, 24, 25. Look at what it says. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in that he understands, knows me, that I am a Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness. So are you growing in loving kindness? Are you go, are you increasingly judges, judging yourself? Are you increasing righteousness on this earth? Are you searching the scriptures? Do you understand the word of God? Do you know him? You don't know that, but you want fame, glory. Boss, shut yourself in with God and start reading the Bible and search the scriptures. Let this be the time all of us will go to the word of God and start searching, start searching, fasting and praying, start searching, underlying, putting a book to ourselves and saying, Lord, what are you going to speak to me, Lord? What are you going to speak to me? What are you going to speak to me? Let Open my eyes. Let me compare scriptural things, spiritual things with spiritual things. Give me the grace, Lord. Open my understanding. Let me examine my own heart. Let me understand you. Let me know your ways. Let me know what your loving kindness is. What is judgment? What is righteousness? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? He is going to convict the world of sin or of, of judgment and of, of righteousness and of judgment. Know him. 
know him, my dear brothers and sisters. Dig those wells so that you can know God. So Isaac never stops digging. So next, next, most difficult, one of the most toughest wells that you have to dig in your life. It's found in Genesis chapter 26 verse 21. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called his name what? Sitna. You know what the word Sitna comes from? The word Sitna comes from the word Satan. It's the same root word. What does Satan mean? Accuser. And one of the, one of the, what do you say? Filling up jobs of the enemy, the, the strategies of the enemy is to bring accusations into your life. How are you going to deal with accusations? First, how you deal with envy. Second, how you deal with competition. Third, how you deal with accusation. Will you stop digging when people stop, start accusing you? Oh Lord, they call me so many names. What is the use of this ministry? Let me give up and let me go and sleep now, please. Accusation. You know, one of the most difficult accusations that you have to actually face in your life is when your own personal sin comes and confronts you. See, enemy is a fantastic deceiver, okay? You know how he does and deceives us? First of all, when we are getting tempted, he says, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you can sin, you can sin, you can sin, it's okay, no problem. God understands. And when you sin? Nay. You think God is going to accept you? He goes to God and he says, God, do you think that fellow, he loves you? He's an accuser, he's a double tongue devil. That's the reason why he's called devil. Because he's got double tongue. Accusations are some of the most, what do you call, painful earths which will cover up your digging process. And God will allow that to happen. You know one of the greatest accusations God will allow? To question your salvation. If you are the Son of God. Are you? We are all sons of God, right? Oh, you are the son of son of God? Man, why are you hungry? Why is there lack in your life? Why is there lack in your life? If you are the son of God, why are you hungry? Convert these stones into bread. Ask God for an overflow in your ministry. That means there is something wrong in your life. That means you truly are not the son of God. You thought God accepted you, but no, 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 no. How can he accept you? Such a vile sinner. Look at your heart. That is an accusation. Sitna. Doubts and accusations of your identity in Christ. Truly a son of God? How do you counter that? If you are the son of God, turn this, what, you know how he says, man shall not live by, brother, but by, I have not stopped digging boss. But if it's by every word, I am going to dig into the scriptures and I'm going to search the scriptures and I'm going to stop your voices of accusation. You know how I'll stop it? I will counter scripture, the whatever is coming out of your mouth with scripture. And I will counter scripture with scripture. If you are the son of God, jump, don't tempt. If you are the son of God, bow down to the glory of this world. I'm not gone, going to bow down. Because you know, because, why? Why? If you're really the son of God, why are you not being accepted by people? 
Why is your ministry not being, being, being uh, why, why are you not so famous in the, in, in the Christian circles? So called. Why not so, so famous? Why is it that you are so, so, it's, it's, it's as if the people don't like you. I mean, they don't like him. They have not accepted your ministry. You want success? Bow down to me. Accusation. Accusation, my dear brothers and sisters. Oh, if you are really um, of the Messiah and if you want people to know you, you should go to Jerusalem so that everybody sees you. That's what the brothers of Jesus said. Nobody is accepting you. We haven't accepted you. If other people accept you, then we'll accept you. That is what we call as getting honor from one another, getting the glory from another, and not waiting for the glory which comes from the only God. Accusation. Strategy of the enemy to bring you down. Do you stop to, to make you stop digging your well? Oh, maybe not. You're not very, maybe not as good as in the word of God as you think you are. Accusations. Not many people are accepting your testimony. Do you think you are, so many people in the Christian, in Christendom, they will, they will say, no, 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 no. He's a false prophet. That's exactly what happened to Jesus also. The Pharisees would never accept him. That's what he said. If people speak well about you, then you are in trouble. I'm not saying that we should make errors in the Bible. No. I'm talking about seeking for approval of men and glory of men. And because of that, you want to compromise the standards of the word of God. No. Let that that not happen. That is sitna. That is an accusation from the enemy that he has not accepted your, the people have not accepted your ministry. Oh, look at the views that you have in your, in your YouTube channel, for example. The likes that you have, the dislikes that you have. They don't like you. Don't like you. Look at all those ministries. So many people in their ministries. What about you? What about you, John? <laughs> you see? What about you? Is a question. So what do we do? What do we do? You know how we fight? Sorry. There's only one person's approval which matters. That's God's approval. So what if you have sinned? And enemy is so quick, no? When you sin, how he traps you with guilt and condemnation? Satan has asked me permission to sift you as wheat. And I've given him permission. You'll deny me thrice, but can you imagine the trauma of this man who betrayed his his his, his master? And he says, you know what? I'll go fishing. I'll stop digging. I go fishing. <laughs> it was supposed to be the fishes of men. No, no, no. I go fishing. It's too much for me to bear this guilt, this condemnation. For those kinds of people, I have a very interesting answer. Go to Micah chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. There's a promise that you can claim for yourself. 7, verses 7 to 11. Micah 7. 7 to 11. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. Kya baat hai? <laughs> I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? There's a Lord and there's a God. What is God? Lord Yahweh. 
the covenant keeping God. There is a, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Look at the confidence. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. My accuser. Do not. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Why? Why? I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned. I have sinned against me. I am against it. I am not going to cover up my sin. No, 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 no. You know what? Until he pleads my case. That is the reason why, you know what 1 John chapter 2 will say? Go, go to 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. You beautiful, beautiful promise. My little children, these things are right to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have a advocate. Counselor is there, Baba. The counselor of defense. Defense counselor is who? God himself. Who is the judge? God himself. God, the father, the judge. God, the son, the uh, our advocate. Father, his punishment, I will pay. Advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Go back to Micah. Micah, Micah, Micah. He will be our propitiation, okay? Micah chapter 7, verse 8 now. Verse 9, in fact, I think verse 8 and 9. Okay, do not rejoice me over my... When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I sinned against him until he pleads my case. You know, it's who pleads the case? Your lawyer will plead your case. No. I go and confess to my lawyer. Anduke, don't ever lie to your doctor and to your lawyer. Go tell everything to your lawyer. If you hide from your lawyer, your earthly lawyer, Baba, he will say, did you commit the crime first? Yes or no? Uh, yes, I did it. Okay. How did you do it? Tell me the circumstances. You want to get out of this? Let me file the case. Let me go to the law and see what all, all the loopholes which will cause you to get out of this thing. That is what an earthly lawyer does. Our heavenly lawyer doesn't have to cover up our sin. He takes us in to himself. But only thing he says, you come and confess to me. Don't hide your sin. Earthly lawyer says, don't lie to me. Heavenly lawyer says, don't lie to me. The problem is that we we try to lie to our <laughs> heavenly lawyer. Yo, what are you doing? Just don't lie to him. Confess. That is the reason why. If you confess, he is faithful and just so many times we come back to the same thing again and again, brothers. You want to stop the accusation of the enemy, confess to your lawyer. Don't confess to the enemy, confess to the lawyer. A lot of people say yes to the enemy. Yes, enemy, you are right. I'm such a worse sinner. You know what he says? He resists the devil. You don't rejoice over me, Ray. You don't rejoice over me. Verse 2, no? Verse 8, do not rejoice over me, or oh my enemy. Yes, 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 yes. I, fa- I fall, I, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. We have a relationship. You, sh- you get out of the way. Nonsense. You get out of the way. Who are you? Uh, what can have a power over my life is only a lie. I will go to my lawyer and I will confess everything to him. Once the confession is done, when it is brought to the light, no accusation, nobody can say anything to them, anything to me. You know why? Because it has been brought to the light, it has been dealt with, the blood of Jesus has covered it. And when the enemy comes and says, you know what your son did the other day? I don't know. It's been deleted from our database. 
accusations. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned. That's what lot of people get bogged down by accusations, my dear brothers. In the in this pilgrim way, there will be accusations. How are you going to deal with your personal sin? It's not that you will never fall. You will fall. But how will you arise? It is an act of faith even when you arise. Will you have faith? Or will you have faith in your righteousness? It is not that we are, we, are, we are saying it is okay, God will forgive. No, we are not condoning sin. We are saying that if and ever you have sinned, how will you respond? How will you respond? I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case. Kya baat hai? What a fantastic lawyer terminology over here, no? And he executes justice. It is not that he's not, he's going to cover up the justice. No! He is going to the courtroom and he says, okay, fine. What is the penalty? Death. Okay, I'll die. What is the penalty? I will? Death? I will die for him. You will let him go. And executes justice for me. And then he says, he will bring me forth to the light. And I will see his righteousness. You know what? God is righteous. He never, ever, ever forgives. I mean, let's go of sin. That is the reason why it says, mercy and truth have kissed each other. And how did it happen? On the cross. On the cross, mercy and truth have kissed each other. So this guys come and they start accusing him. So what does he do? <laughs> okay. Fine. I'll go to another place. Not this time is fantastic. Look at what happens next. Genesis chapter 26 now verse 22. I love this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the land of God. And he moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. Now what can you do to this fellow? You know, there's a saying in Telugu, Ninda Muniganaki, Chalakadasu. What is Ninda Only the guy who is completely submerged in water will never feel the cold. If you are half there and half here, <laughs> you're gone. Submerge yourself completely in the Lord Jesus Christ and die to yourself. And he moved and dug there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. Verse 22. So he called the name of the place Rehoboth. Kya baat hai? Why? For the Lord has made room for me and I shall be fruitful in the land. The famine is still not gone. I love that. The famine is not gone, my brothers. The circumstances and situations in the world will not change. But you have a well, my dear brothers. You have dug up a well, a spring of living water, which can never be put out. And what is what is going to happen? Life is going to come. Life is going to come and it is going to water your garden and you will be fruitful. You know what Rehoboth means? Spaciousness. You know what? The, the narrow way has now become a Broadway. You know why? I've practiced and practiced and practiced to stay on this narrow way. Have you seen a guy who's on tightrope? Have you ever seen him? This example I always have, no? A tightrope walker. Okay. Let us say from, from one end of the, of the Niagara Falls to the other. 
He starts from one end and he's going to the other. He's holding this thing and slowly he's walking. And you see him, oh, he's balancing and balancing and balancing slowly. And in the mid, he's in the middle now. And after a while, he's coming to the end. You know what happens? By the time he has, he has literally calculated the entire tightrope. Now he runs on the tightrope. He runs on the tightrope. Has the narrow way changed? No. Has the uh, uh, tightrope suddenly become a thick rope? No. You know, it's like uh, Tendulkar, no? Or all test players, when they're playing the cricket, when they're playing cricket, by the time the concentration, by the time they reach the 50s and 60s, right? The ball, they're able to see the ball like a football, they say. The tiny cricket ball, they concentrated their senses. Now they're able to time you ball 160 miles, 160 kilometers per hour, 100 miles per hour, bouncer, short pitch, uh, good length, doesn't matter, he's going to smash you. You know why? He's able to time the ball to perfection. Doesn't matter what speed you're balling, slow you're balling, fast you're balling, he is tuned in to the game now. Now what happens to the tightrope walker? The narrow way, narrow way, he becomes, I've seen that, no? That guy runs the last 20 to 100 meters. He literally runs. Not that the dangers have, have, have reduced. No, he's known the rope. He's known the walk. And that road has become almost like a Broadway. It's become Rehoboth for him. You know why? Because he's dealt with envy. He's dealt with competition. He's dealt with accusation. And you know what God does say? Three things in your life, Baba. Room now. Room. Room for you. Does he stop there? No, 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 no. He's not going to stop. He's not going to be content with that. The final, well, he digs, my dear brothers. Look at what it says, finally. 22 and verse 26. Oh, sorry, verse 23, sorry. Uh, Rehoboth and verse 23. 20, 26 verse 23. 26 verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. You know what Beersheba means? A space of seven oaths. A complete oath. Who comes and makes an oath? Abimelech comes. Okay. He comes and says, now I cannot fight you. You know, it's like this a ruler of the world has come and he has found nothing in you. Nothing. Nothing can stop you from digging. And the Lord, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your, of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you. Multiply your descendants for my, for my servant Abraham's sake. And the next verse. So he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servant dug a well. And what happens? Abimelech says, Baba, I know I can't stop this fellow. I'll tell you what it means. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know what he says? Don't touch that fellow. Over. He will tell the enemy, you touch anything, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop that fellow. His heart is totally surrendered to me. I will allow you to get rid of what? Envy. Get rid of competition. Get rid of accusation. First of all, he will deal with accusation. He will also not deal with others with accusation. My dear brothers and sisters, love covers, not exposes. 
If you have an accusation spirit, my dear brother, you are a child of the devil. I say that categorically. Because that's exactly what Pharisees were always looking for. A reason so that they can accuse. And that is the reason why Jesus looks at him and he says, you are a brood of vipers. You are of your father, the devil, and of his works you will do. He was a what from the beginning? Murderer. You also murder. You don't assassinate people, you just do character assassination and after ultimately, you put him on the cross also. Take care of all these things. So we have what? Five wells. The well when people are envious of you. Don't stop digging. The well when there's competition. Don't stop digging. Well, when there is accusation, don't stop digging. Well, then there is spaciousness. Don't stop digging until you've established your covenant with God. And you know what? The enemy has come and says, you know what? There's nothing in this fellow. He's ready to go home. He's ready to go home. Can we stand this morning? And we'll pray. We'll stop here almost 12, 10. We'll stop. Father, we pray that you would Speak to our hearts this morning. Father, bring all the fugitives and wanderers back home. Back home, Lord. Let this be the time when they will return home. And let all the pilgrims, Lord, stay on that course to their home. To their eternal home. That they will not allow envy. Or jealousy. They will not allow competition. And they will not allow accusation. And they will not even allow father. A sense of spiritual accomplishment. To stop them from digging. Those wells. They will not be stuck at Rehoboth. But they will go to Beersheba. Until. There is nothing in their hearts. That the enemy can put their fingers upon. Like it said about Jesus. The ruler of this world has come. And he has found nothing in me. Father enable us to stay on that straight and narrow path. And complete the race that you have marked out for each and every one of us. Help us to stay on that pilgrim way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.